Welcome to Here for Her Health, where we are building a better, healthier everyday for women. Brought to you by Organon. Welcome back to Here for Her Health, a podcast series sponsored by Organon, with the goal of creating a better and healthier everyday for every woman. I'm your host, Wendy Lund, and today I'll be speaking with the president and CEO of the Society for Women's Health Research, Katie Schubert. Katie is an expert in women's health and nonprofit leadership. She's here today to talk about innovation, areas of improvement, and some of the amazing work she's doing in women's health research. Katie, thank you for being part of this podcast episode. We're thrilled you're here. Please briefly tell our listeners about your background and why you are so passionate about women's health. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I actually come from a healthcare family. My mother's a pediatric nurse by training, and my father was a hospital administrator. So it was something I really couldn't get away from. And I also grew up in a rural area in New England, so had a sense of civic duty and public service from a really young age. I started my career on Capitol Hill and worked for then Representative Nancy Johnson, who at the time was chair of the healthcare subcommittee for Ways and Means, and then moved into a small government relations firm in the healthcare space. And so I was working with healthcare nonprofits, medical professional societies, and patient advocacy organizations, as well as some biotech companies, and really made my niche in maternal health. I was having babies at the time. I have three children, two, one teenager, uh, one middle schooler, and an eight-year-old. But I also was seeing a lot of health disparities amongst friends and family members and other groups that I was working with. Um, My sister has a set of quadruplets who were born very early. She had a difficult, couple of difficult pregnancies. I had to be induced because of preeclampsia. So this was sort of something I was really interested in looking at and working with the right national organizations to really think about it in terms of policy. So we were working to advocate for federal programs and improved quality of care. And I really then began to understand what a lifespan approach to women's health could look like and that that would really lead to better care and better outcomes. And so I transitioned into a CEO role at the Society for Women's Health Research in April of 2020. And we are looking at making sure that biological sex differences in disease is a variable in research, as well as to improve women's health through our science, policy, and education work. Well, the society is really lucky to have you. It sounds like for many different reasons, your road led to this position and looking forward to seeing, you know, you've been there really through all of COVID. So looking forward to seeing what you can continue to do during and then coming out of COVID, obviously. The next question, you know, is really something we were talking about, which is sort of like you have your work cut out for you, but you also have lots of opportunity as we charge down this path around women's health and creating and looking at unmet needs where we can create better future for her. So question for you is what policy changes do you think need to be made to support innovation in the space? But I was pleased to see, thinking of sort of where we're able to go and the opportunities that exist, the FDA Center for Devices and Radiological Health released its Health of Women strategic plan. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I would like to see a more concerted effort across FDA centers to do the same, because without that support, innovation can't really be fostered. 
And I think that more data on sex and gender, as well as other demographics like race, ethnicity, age, geographic location could all be helpful as well. Because without that information, we really don't know where we can work to close disparities or improve health equity. And data groups also, to that point, should extend to patient conditions and life stages like pregnancy, lactation. All of those ideas need to be incorporated into clinical trials when we're thinking about women. And they really need to ensure that they're more inclusive clinical trials. We can collect data post-market to really paint the full picture of impact on women's health. We talk a lot about the use of real-world data as a consideration when we think about women, not just women as patients, but also women as caregivers. Most of the caregivers in this country are women, and there is an impact there, not just for the folks that they're caring for, but themselves and their own health as well. And really viewing women as an important consumer is in need of more attention. I think a lot of innovation could come from that. There is a market there and a pretty strong consumer base. You mentioned 51% of the population, and we're making decisions for our families, our spouses, our parents, our children. I think that could foster a lot of innovation as well. So great segue in terms of talking about innovation. Why do you think innovation is lagging compared to other disease areas? And what do we need to do to encourage a greater focus on innovation? I think there's a lot of reasons for this. And for many decades, women were not viewed as any different than men. And so in trials, treatments and data from men were treated as just as good and helpful in in treating women as well. And we know that that's not true. We do know that there's also a hesitancy to include these populations for a number of reasons. Hormones can be difficult to deal with. (laughs) They are there. And so really thinking about how do you create these trial designs that make sense that incorporate sort of the hormone levels of women, but also sort of the different life stages that they're going through is going to be really critical. I think that women's health research broadly is underfunded. It's not prioritized. And that's across the board from the National Institutes of Health to private industry. And we really need to foster more investment and prioritize that investment to help drive the innovation. And finally, I'd love to see us consider women's health beyond just reproductive health and fertility. So looking at this whole woman approach so that it's not just a women's issue, I think will go a long way in fostering innovation. We really need to consider sort of the full picture, not just one organ or condition or life stage to really further this idea that it's comprehensive and not just related to one thing. Right. So that whole idea of it's not just bikini medicine, but the women have a lot of different parts. And on top of that, there are conditions that affect women or disproportionately affect women is what I'm hearing you say. We need to look with a much broader lens. And they're all interrelated, right? I mean, just if you look at just one body part, that's not going to really give you the full picture. Right, exactly. So the goal of the Society for Women's Health Research is to make women's health mainstream. And that is definitely a goal of ours as well. How do you feel progress on this important goal has been made over the last five to 10 years? We are seeing some pretty great progress. I think the idea behind making women's health mainstream is that there wouldn't even be a consideration that you wouldn't include women in research. And we've seen movement in clinical trials when it comes to inclusion and data reporting. In 2019, women made up 72% of study participants for FDA-approved drugs, and that's up from 40% in 2015. I would say that 2015 was the first year FDA released its drug trial snapshots, so 
that's the best data that we have to work with right now. And we think about it, 2015 was not very long ago. So the fact that we're just now starting to capture that information, I think is very telling in terms of the progress that we have to make. We're also seeing a greater emphasis on some women's health issues like maternal mortality. It's been in the news. Federal and state policymakers have prioritized these issues through legislation. Congresswoman Lauren Underwood of Illinois introduced a momnibus bill, which is a series of bills related to maternal health. And they actually had this first bill signed into law in November of 2021. And also Vice President Kamala Harris had a speech and launched a call to action to reduce maternal mortality. So we are seeing this level of interest in specific areas related to women's health across the spectrum. And we have a lot of advocacy organizations who are working together to really highlight these needs. And so I think we're seeing movement in terms of policy action. I think we are seeing a desire to invest more in this space. And that progress is great. I would say, though, it's 2022, and we're still talking about why we need to do more in women's health when we're half of the population. And and again, that decision-making capability, what we are doing to really bear the burden of care. We're seeing that in COVID. I think it's really highlighted what women are dealing with. And I think the big question really should be, why aren't we doing better by women in this country and across the globe? Absolutely. And one of the things that's been touched on a number of times is the fact that potentially there you know, is an issue around the fact that there's underrepresentation in all levels of science that could have contributed to this. And so as an expert in this, a question that I have is, how has underrepresentation in all levels of science possibly contributed to the lack of innovation in women's health? This is a huge issue, and we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> what we do know is that there are differences that need to be considered. We definitely need to have more women in the scientific workforce, and that's across the board. As researchers, clinicians, and as executives, that perspective is really critical. And without them in the room, I think we've seen that innovation can lag. And so you need those perspectives to be able to change trial design, consider the population, et cetera. I think even beyond that, the lack of inclusion broadly in clinical research has led, again, to more questions than answers. Without looking at these populations, we really can't see how to improve care, improve treatments, foster innovation. And I think that we're seeing that those important scientific breakthroughs really can't be made. So you really do have to have women and diverse populations of women at all levels of research, from patient participation all the way up to executive level decision makers. Great. Now, I just want to go back to something we were talking about before in terms of how many, many people equate reproductive health equals women's health. And, you know, many organizations are committed to educating women on important health issues. But, you know, the question is, are we hitting the mark? So if women's health is often characterized as reproductive health, how can we build greater understanding of all these blind spots? We talked about it before about areas that disproportionately affect women or conditions that specifically affect women beyond reproductive health issues, kind of create this understanding of all the blind spots in the area of women's health that are so desperate for innovation. And my second question is, if there was greater recognition of women's health, would that help drive greater innovation and more comprehensive women's health policies? Yeah. So I think the sort of second part of this, the really short answer is yes. yes. (laughs) I think if we can drive this conversation about women's health so that it is less about reproduction and more about 
the whole person and the contribution to society and why it's important to take care of yourself holistically, that will go a long way. Reproductive health is really important and it's something that we absolutely have to be talking about, but it's not the only thing about women's health that we should care about. And some of the work we're doing at SWHR is to really think about women's health across the lifespan in a really comprehensive way, really working to educate, raise awareness, empower women to be able to take their care into their own hands, ask the right questions of their clinicians but also educate clinicians as well about what are the types of things that your patients might care about when it comes to women's health. So we see that Alzheimer's disease, migraine, cardiovascular health, those are all really important women's health issues because they might disproportionately impact women or differently affect them. And they're not at all related to reproductive health. And so I think there's also this idea that not just those issues that are specific to women or disproportionately impacting women. There's a lot of stigma surrounding women's health generally. We're seeing it most often in areas like endometriosis or uterine fibroids or menopause, which are what we would typically think of as women's health issues. But we see it across the board. We see it in autoimmune diseases. We see it in Alzheimer's, migraine, et cetera. And that contributes to a lack of attention to women's health because nobody wants to talk about it. And as a society, we really need to make it okay to discuss these things from childhood all the way through to adulthood. I think eliminating that stigma and encouraging a shift in thinking about what do we mean by women's health will be absolutely critical to fostering that innovation and really just changing the conversation broadly. One of the things that's been talked a lot about in the news lately is the cost of not innovating in women's health. And it would just be really great to hear from you is what you think are the missed opportunities and how this lack of innovation could be costing the country's hospital systems, the country in general, et cetera, et cetera. The costs are astronomical. I think the costs are so high to the economy, to society, to families themselves, and frankly, for generations to come. There was a report that the Women's Health Access Matters put out that was really looking at women's health as an economic issue. And what they said is that we can't afford to ignore this, and we totally agree. They found that investing $300 million generates $13 billion to our economy. Why would we not make that investment? Right. It's a no-brainer. There's such a huge return return on investment. You're right. So, I mean, I think between that and also through COVID, much has been said about that burnout that I mentioned, the health issues that women are facing, Mm -hmm. but we're still struggling. We really need to prioritize women's health so that those outcomes can be better. Our economy can be stronger. Our families can be healthier and happier. And we really can't do that unless we are prioritizing this issue and making those intentional investments in this space. And then I would also say, I think that idea that women are a huge consumer market is something that we are missing a little bit because they really can make those decisions. It's a huge population that really needs to be seen as such. Yeah. Everything you're saying, I'm sure is going to be music to everyone who listens ears and wishing you the best, best of everything. One more question before you go, and this may be one of my favorite questions I get to ask you, which is given what you're doing and all the work that you're doing across multiple different areas, when you look into your crystal ball for the future of women's health in 10 years, what are the three words you would use to describe it? This is a hard one. Um, I want to do so much in women's health, but I think... In 10 years, I would love to be able to see women's health be inclusive, equitable, and innovative. 
Thanks again to Katie for being with us today and talking about research in women's health and many of the exciting innovations we can expect to see. Thanks as well to all of you for listening. Please remember to leave a review if you're enjoying the show. I'm Wendy Lund, and thank you all for listening to Here for Her Health, building a better and healthier every day for every woman.